we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Well, before I invite April up um, to read the word, I just wanted to uh, introduce uh, who's going to be teaching this morning or preaching. Um, Bethany is not here. She had this uh, opportunity that was given to her um, several months ago to go preach at New Heart Church. Um, if you're not familiar with New Heart, they're Southern Baptists and um, don't usually don't typically uh, view women pastors as acceptable. And we know the pastors there really well, and they're like, and they, they do view that. And so this is kind of like their intro to like, oh, there's a woman pastor. What do we do with that? <laughs> so I always feel like anytime she can, anytime she can move the needle on that a little bit, she like took, you know, she's going for it. Um, and Bethany is obviously such a graceful, awesome, gifted preacher, mother, all those things. And um, I don't think she has any intent to, other than just to bring people closer to God but also women pastors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just goes, so. Um, so she's not here. Um, keep her in your prayers throughout the service as well. She uh, came down with the same crud that I have right now, so she's kind of under the weather a little bit. Uh, but with that, uh, we asked um, Danielle Knight to preach. So Danielle's over here. She'll introduce herself a little more, I'm sure. But um, she is a, a dear friend of ours. She's, we've known you for three years now. Um, she works for InterVarsity um, Christian Fellowship, which does loads of college ministry. Um, and currently, she lives in our house, too. So <laughs> we have all these you know, weird connections. But anyway, um, we, I just really, really value her as a person, as the way she pastors the college students and draws them closer to God and her heart for God. It's, it's so real and alive and palpable and for the word of God. And so I uh, just want to stoke that she's here this morning. With that, I'm going to invite April Joyce up to invite us into the word. Uh, the reading today is from Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 43, and that is on page 37 in the New Testament of your pupil, if you want to follow along. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. 
he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. May God add his blessing to this reading. Good morning. Well, my name is Danielle, and I am honored and thankful to be here in this space with you. I'm going to set a timer to make sure I don't keep talking for too long. Uh, I uh, moved to Humboldt three years ago um, to plant an university chapter at HSU. Uh, we are a nonprofit Christian organization that just longs to see uh, students and staff on any campus in the United States, uh, to see students' lives transformed by God, to see the campus renewed, and to develop students to be world changers when they leave campus. Um, and it's been a fun journey these last three years, so there hasn't been an university chapter at HSU for the last uh, 28 years. Um, and so as I was on staff at Chico State, it really felt like God was saying, like, will you go somewhere new? Uh, and I remember when I first came on staff in my interview, actually, to come on staff with the university, I said, I don't really see myself as a planter, and I don't really see myself ever going anywhere by myself. And Cod kind of laughed at that and was like, okay, we'll see about that one, Danielle. Uh, and I moved to Humboldt to plant and to be by myself. Uh, so I, God definitely has a sense of humor. Um, but it has been a journey these last three years to live in Humboldt and to, to see God's heart break for the campus uh, and to see the revival that God longs for at HSU and, and College of the Redwoods. Um, and I'll share a little bit more about my story. This microphone feels really high. Oh, there we go. Something like that. Is that better? <laughs> um, and so there's, there's three things that I kind of want to share with you out of this story in Mark. Uh, as a university, we love to study scripture. Uh, it's one of the values that we have. And it's something that really actually drew me to university when I was a student. And usually during spring break, we uh, get together with students and we study actually the book of Mark and we, we print it out on pieces of paper and we give them pens and we give them dictionaries and we say like, let's wrestle with this. 
Uh, and so collectively, I've probably spent over 300 hours studying the Book of Mark. And every time I read a chunk of it, something new always comes up. And that's something I love about studying the Bible is there's always a new thing based on even the own, my own lenses that I put on in order to study the scripture. So my own family background, even just the things I'm wrestling with in this moment will define how I read scripture. Uh, and so there's three things that kind of stood out for me today uh, that I want us to, to sit in for a minute. And those three things are the hope and the expectation that both Jarvis and the woman had. Uh, we see that uh, Jarvis's plans don't go as planned, and the women's too. And we also see vulnerability in the midst of the outcast. So I want us to kind of sit in those three things today. Uh, and so our first one, hope and expectation. See, we, Jairus was the synagogue leader. He was a chief official. He was a prominent person in his society, in his community. Uh, if we have Jesus on one side of a spectrum, Jairus is on the other. Jairus' community was trying to destroy Jesus. They are trying to kill him. And yet, there was this moment that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet. Jairus recognized that Jesus had some sort of power that Jairus needed. And Jairus just longed for Jesus to just touch his daughter. And so we see Jairus begging Jesus to come, believing that Jesus could be the one person that could heal his daughter and cause her not to die. And we see with the woman, she was bleeding. Uh, that was considered unclean in that society. So she was considered an outcast. Uh, for 12 years, so probably over half of her life, uh, she'd been considered unclean. It could have been her whole adult life. It could have been since she started her lady cycle, this has been happening. It probably meant that she was barren, uh, which means she probably wasn't married or could have been divorced. In Jewish culture at the time, a woman's job was to bear children. And so she probably felt all of this shame and guilt for the one thing that she was created to do she could not. And often in Jewish culture, they would uh, blame disease based on either the sins that they had caused or the sins their family had done. And so I'm sure she carried this guilt and shame with her every day. And being unclean, she wasn't allowed to touch anyone. Because if she even just touched someone, they would be considered unclean. And so teachers often would avoid touching women altogether so that they wouldn't accidentally be contaminated or unclean. This woman should not have been in the crowd, but yet she was desperate for something to happen. And she heard about this Jesus she thought, if only I could touch his clothes, I will be healed. And so we see that both Jesus, or Jairus and the woman had hope and expectation that Jesus was going to do something for them. Both were willing to go against their social norms, the things that society had told them, the rules that they were supposed to follow because they were desperate for Jesus to do something. Jairus was going against what his group of people were trying to do. And this woman was desperate to be healed so that she could be brought back into society. 
And they had this hope and expectation that Jesus could heal them in a way that nobody else could. Uh, but I think as we see this story, their, their hope and expectation was in something that Jesus wanted to disrupt a little bit. <clears throat> For Jairus, Jesus had said yes, right? Jairus was like, Jesus, come to my home. He's like, okay, let's start going, right? And Jairus is like, yes, finally having hope that Jesus will do something for his daughter. But Jairus had to wait. Uh, And while Jairus had to wait, he found out his daughter died. And I can't imagine what that's like to be sitting or walking, having Jesus be like, yeah, I'll come to your house. I'll like, I'll heal your daughter. And then Jesus stops and he like pauses for this woman, this outcast. And I'm sure in the midst of that pausing, Jairus was like, let's go, Jesus. We have a place to be. Let's hustle. It's crunch time. My daughter's dying. Like, we don't have time to stop and wait. Don't you know who I am? I am the chief ruler, right? The chief official. But yet Jesus pauses. And I can't imagine what Jairus was thinking when that person came up to him and said, your daughter is dead. I bet that hope and expectation just went out the door. And all of a sudden you become angry, you get frustrated, you think if only we'd walked faster, if only Jesus hadn't paused, if only he hadn't listened to that woman's story. This heart-wrenching moment. But Jesus just says, uh, don't be afraid, just believe. And you're like, what, Jesus? My daughter's dead. What do you want me to believe in? What do you want me to have hope for? You're telling me to just believe you're crazy, Jesus. You just proved what all these people in my camp have been saying about you. That you're crazy, that you're just telling lies, that you're not really God. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, there have been many moments in my own life where I felt like Jairus where I've desperately fallen on my knees begging God to show up and feeling like he has said yes. He's given me promises uh, of what he wants to do in my own life. And it felt like God was saying, yeah, let's, let's walk that way, Danielle. Let's do those things. But then things don't go as planned. <laughs> uh, you, you come to plant a chapter here and people don't show up. Or people start talking bad about you. And instead of advancing the kingdom of God on campus, you feel like God's name is being smeared in the ground. And you feel like you're failing. And you start to question everything. And you ask God, why? Why did he send you to this place? (laughs) Why did he invite you to leave your community and your friends and your family to move to this place called Humboldt if he wasn't going to show up? before I moved to Humboldt, it felt very clear that God is calling me here. And so many people spoke these like promises of God to me. It was like, oh, there's going to be this big breakthrough on campus and revival is going to happen and an university is going to be that like space for students to really experience God. And so I walked into this place holding those promises, expecting God to just hand it all over, right? Um, 
But for two years, I felt like Jairus. I was waiting for God to show his promise. And I was confused and I was angry. <laughs> and it felt like no matter what I did, it wasn't enough. And it felt like God was saying, will you wait? Will you pray? Will you pray for the strongholds that the enemy has had on this campus and in this place? Will you sit and mourn the ways that I mourn? <clears throat> and will you keep going even though it doesn't look like it's right? Uh, and it was not a fun space to be in, to sit in for two years, to try things and have them fail and to wonder why you were here. Uh, but God is faithful. Uh, he doesn't leave you in that space forever. But I bet we all have those stories of moments where we felt like God has promised us something or said yes to our prayers, but then we had to wait. And that could be for us relationships or life stages, desires that we have. And for some of us, that's a desire to be a mom on this day. Some of us have been waiting and longing to have kids of our own. I have a lot of friends actually in that stage of life right now who have been trying to have kids for years now and they're still waiting. And for some of us, God is inviting us to show us a different way. Maybe it means uh, we won't ever biologically have kids, but that God will place kids in our own lives to love and to care for. Um, and so for, for some of us, we are sitting in that waiting season. We're longing even for reconciliation to happen with our own mom, or maybe we're a mom waiting for reconciliation to happen with our kids. And in this waiting season, it's hard. It's painful. There's a longing that we have. And I believe God is inviting us to sit with us in that waiting. God doesn't leave us in the midst of waiting or the midst of pausing the promises that he's given us. But there is something that is happening deeper that we sometimes aren't even aware of. For me, in my own story of those two years of waiting, I didn't even realize what God was doing until I was stepping out of it. Then he started to show me, like, this is what I have been inviting you into. Uh, and so for some of us, we are in the midst of waiting. And I think something else I had to learn in the midst of waiting was that my value and my worth does not reflect what I can and cannot do. And I believe that God loves and cares for us no matter how long we have to wait. And I often wonder when I read, every time I read this story, I'm like, why did Jesus pause? Right? He could have just like kept going and healed the daughter and she didn't have to die. Uh, but I think there is something pivotal Jesus was trying to teach us. And Jesus could have just, like, let the, the woman, like, touch his cloak, and they could have made eye contact. He could have smiled at her, you know, like, give her a thumbs up or, like, give her a hug really quickly and kept walking. It could have been this, this moment interaction in between him and the woman. It could have been this silent thing that happened. Uh, but yet Jesus made it a big deal. And he said, who touched me? And I, and I think about who's like around, right? There's this huge crowd of people. There's the disciples who've been walking life with Jesus for a little while now. 
who have been given parables, who have been uh, seeing demons come out of people. We've seen Jesus heal people. We've seen Jesus give little like teaching moments. And I think this is another like moment for Jesus. Uh, we see that this woman is immediately healed physically, but I think Jesus wanted to do something greater. And Jesus gave this woman the opportunity to tell her whole truth in front of everybody. This huge crowd of people, the disciples in front of Jairus. And it's probably the first time anyone had listened to her for 12 years. And I don't think this whole truth was like a 30-second elevator pitch, right? It probably took a while. She probably cried. She probably shared deep things that no one had ever known. She probably shared the pain and the doubt that she carried with her. She probably shared about the doctors that she went to, but they couldn't do anything. She probably shared about the physical pain she was in and how she'd gotten worse. And Jesus listened. And see, for 12 years, she hadn't been a part of society. She hadn't been a part of this community. She'd been pushed out to be an outcast. For 12 years, no one had touched her. And this was a space Jesus was inviting her back into community. He was helping her to be known again. He wasn't just caring about her physical pain, but he was thinking about her emotional pain pain of what it must have been like to be an outcast. And this was a moment for Jesus to welcome her back in, to heal some of the emotional and spiritual pain that she'd been carrying. And after she told her whole story, he says, you are healed. Go in peace. And I believe that was a freedom from not just the physical disease, but all of the suffering that she'd experienced in that place. And I wonder if for us there are stories that we need to tell. Uh, stories that Jesus wants us to tell each other. Uh, stories that he longs freedom for in our own lives. Uh, we actually studied this passage um, about a month ago in university. In our, we have a Wednesday night study, and students from all different faith traditions come together, and we, we just open the Bible, we talk about what we see, we ask questions. And after we really wrestled with this passage, I just opened up a space and I said, is there any stories that we need to tell tonight? And I thought, oh, maybe like one or two students will share and they'll cry and it'll feel good. And, um, but as we sat around, every single person, all 19 of us, shared something that they'd never shared before with someone. And it became this moment of freedom for students. Uh, they were like, wow, I've never, I've never told anyone that I'd been sexually assaulted before. I never told anyone about my sexual orientation. I never told anyone the anxiety that I feel every day. And it created this vulnerability in our community that students still talk about today. And they asked, they're like, Danielle, can we have more spaces like that to share our stories and to be real with people? And I believe that Jesus longs for us to feel that same freedom. <clears throat> 
to tell our stories, to share the places that we are waiting for God to show up in. And maybe it's a place you've been waiting for a long time, for that reconciliation to happen in our relationships, for those life stages that we thought God had promised us, but they aren't reality yet. For those places that we are longing for Jesus to show up in our lives. And maybe for some of us, we're waiting for a physical healing to happen. And I think uh, as a community, God does not invite us to be alone in that. And so will we be open and real people to share our stories? And so I challenge you, even this week, what does it look like to grab lunch or coffee with someone and to be people of good listeners, to listen to people's stories, to ask good questions, to pray for them, but then to also share our own stories as well. And the beautiful thing that happened in our Bible study is after each person shared their story, uh, two or three people prayed for them and invited Jesus into those spaces. I think we are people who are, who are supposed to bring Jesus to our friends. And so will you be people who share your stories with each other? Will we be people who walk life with each other in the midst of waiting? And will we be people who have hope and expectation of what God wants to do in our lives? Thank you.